listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again on this episode of Let the Bible Speak. We are at this point in the year approaching the Christmas season. And on this last Lord's Day before Christmas Day, we often think about the coming of Jesus Christ. But the Christian understands that to think of Christ is to think of him in greater terms than simply his incarnation and his coming. So today I want to broadcast a message preached on Psalm 45 whereby we see Christ in the glory of all his offices as our prophet, priest and king. And so as you think about Christ coming into the world today, I would ask you to think of him in these broad terms. So let me read to you the opening eight verses of Psalm 45, where the psalmist says, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips, therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously, because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thy love is righteousness, and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh, and aloes, and cassia, out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. I trust, as you consider this portion today, the Lord will bless his word in all of your hearts. And so I want to take some time to really ask you devotionally to look and ponder the language of Psalm 45 because Christ is displayed here while some will see in these words language pertaining to Solomon and his bride and Solomon as the glorious king we are left in no doubt in the word of God that this psalm points forward to the Messiah to Christ himself in Hebrews chapter 1 you see the emphatic proof In the context, Hebrews 1, the writer is dealing with the glory, the supremacy of Christ over the angels. But in verse number 8, the inspired writer says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. The Son. The Son that's referred to in verse number 2 that God has spoken unto us in these last days by his Son. The Son, that word is not mentioned in Psalm 45, but clearly the inspired writer of Hebrews understands Psalm 45 to refer to the incarnate Son of God. The Son who came in the last days and revealed the very word and will of God. So there is no doubt, there should be no challenge in our minds. We're not reading into the word of God here when we see Christ in Psalm 45. Rather, we are missing the word of God if we fail to see Christ in Psalm 45. We must see him here. 
We must study him here. We must understand how do we see our Lord in these verses? Well, two very simple thoughts. We are to first of all consider the excellency of the subject. Considering the excellency of the subject. Verse 1 serves as a preface to what follows. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. I have said to you in the title this is a song of loves. And the psalmist is expressing his heart. When he ponders the excellency of the subject of the king. It is a good thing for our hearts to be captivated with the consideration of Christ and the word. Truly, in the words of verse number two, Christ is fairer than the children of men. He is the altogether lovely one. He's the fairest of 10,000 to our souls. And when you see Christ in the scriptures, there are no flaws or weakness in his character. No flaws or weakness in his conversation or in his conduct. That's only true of Christ. Not a single flaw, not a single weakness. You may admire much in others, but there's always a flaw. The most loving husband and wife are not blind to the flaws within their spouse. Though they may love and express much in the way of adoration of the spouse, yet they're not blind to the flaws. But in Christ, our glorious bridegroom, there are no flaws. Not a single deficit in his character and his conduct. He is fairer and better than the best of men. And so when the psalmist considers the Lord, there are two things that happen. First of all, his heart bubbles over. That's the only way I can describe it. This word indicting is a remarkably interesting word. It's only used here. My heart is indicting a good matter. I I can't go back to the 1600s and understand how the translators chose that English word. It's a very vivid word in the original. It has a sense of boiling or bubbling over like a fountain or like a a hot spring. You imagine the catastrophe this afternoon when you're boiling your potatoes and the the pot gets hotter and hotter and hotter and then the, the water boils over the top. That's the picture here. The energy inside the pot is so intense and it's building and building and building until boom, it bubbles over, it bursts out. That's the picture of the psalmist here. His heart is so full of devotion, affection, energy for Christ that he cannot suppress the bursting out of his affection and the words that he's going to use. Hence the heart bubbles over and therefore the tongue pours out. The heart that is so captivated is then the pen of a ready writer. A writer with fluency. A writer that just can't get the words out fast enough. There's smoke coming from the page as the pen makes its way across line by line. That's the sense here, the pen of a ready writer. The child of God sometimes feels that way. We must be honest. We don't always feel this way, do we? We wish you'd feel this way more often. But sometimes we can, just for a little bit, we can say with this, the hymn writer, Oh, for a thousand tongues, oh, that I had more capacity to exalt my great Redeemer's praise, should be our desire. 
Psalm 39, my heart was hot within me while I was musing the firebird. Then spake I with my tongue. It's a heart that is captivated with Christ that will then flow out in the tongue and all the expressions of praise and adoration. 1996-97, I was going through the Psalms. Actually, for two years, I went through the Psalms devotionally, and I, in those days, I kept a journal, and I made notes, and I still have those books. 25, 24 years later, I looked up the note, June 22nd, 1996. Um, I, I could just about read my writing, but I, I, I could discern this. As Christians... We live in an age of spiritual declension. That was my reading as a young person, 20 years old, 1996. We live in an age of spiritual declension, whereby it is easy to discuss controversies and problems. That was what it was like in those days in Northern Ireland. We discussed all manner of problems in the church, outside the church. Liberalism, worldliness. We discussed politics. Those were pretty hot days in Northern Ireland in the mid-1990s. People could get captivated and passionate and engaged in all manner of conversation. And so my notes continued. Are our hearts, though, stirred up by Christ and his love for his church? How often do we feel ready to speak of Christ? 24 years later, I think I can say exactly the same thing. I wonder how how far have I come? This year has been interesting being a foreigner in a strange land. How do people cope with this sort of situation? It's been unusual. We all testify to that. Certainly when I was here in January, we didn't see what was coming around the corner. And so in church circles, I hear and involved in conversations where people will speak with great passion about a virus, about the pandemic, about COVID. They'll discuss the government and overreach and restrictions and this and that and the other thing. And then on the top of it all, you planned and decided to have an election as well. Just to add into the mix. And I see the Lord's people and they're, they're consumed and so energetic and passionate for these things. But barely will they break a word about Christ. Their hearts are experiencing the turmoil of living in a fallen world. And their hearts are so filled with the fallen world in which they live, that it's almost as if there is no room in the pot for love for Christ. These are tremendously dangerous times. I have say more tonight, but I have seen more backsliding in the past year than I'd seen in the past 10 years. I was doing 10 years ago this week. In the past 10 years of ministry, there's been more backsliding in the past year. Several people seemingly falling away from the Lord. And I think the issue is the world is consuming their minds. And they've lost sight of the excellency of the subject of Christ. And so may your hearts muse so that the fire will burn and then there'll be that captain in your soul. So how do we do that? Well, well, then we've got to consider the extent of his saving work. If the subject is excellent, so his saving work is of a glorious extent. The extent of his saving work. 
whilst this psalm focuses on Christ as king, we see that his work as king and his triumph as king relates to what we call his other offices. You know the term Christ is the New Testament term for Messiah. Messiah, the noun, is from the verb to anoint. You know all this. And so Christ, when he comes in the New Testament, he encompasses all the three anointed offices, the prophet, priest, and king. And in this psalm, we see all three offices. Now, the, the other two, if you like, they, they, they revolve around the kingship of Christ. But all three are here. Because you see him, you see him here as our prophet. Verse number two, grace is poured into thy lips. That's the process, if you like, whereby Christ is our prophet. Into and out of his lips flow grace. You turn to Luke chapter four. This idea of, being, of, of grace being poured into his lips is a, is a picture of the anointing of Christ by the Spirit of God. And Christ takes the book of the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4 verse 17. He opens the book. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Here's the pouring of grace into the lips of this king the king who will also be the prophet of God who will preach the gospel who will herald the good news to those who need to hear that news and so Psalm 45 is pointing forward to Christ in his prophetic office and as our prophet he brings to us the word of God and brings to us in a way that is always speech seasoned with salt I think if you ask almost anybody in the world, I mean, I mean anybody, all manner of persuasions, religiously or politically, they will say, well, what do you, what do you want from your leaders? And the generality of opinion would be, we want truth and we want compassion. We'll come to Justice Winter to you, brother. We want truth and we want compassion. So we expect from those who have leadership and rule over us. Christ is perfectly true and perfectly compassionate. He is the model of all leadership as the prophet is sent from God to bring the words of God. Words that come with truth and words that come with compassion. And so you hear his words on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Here's the compassion of Christ. Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, they shall be filled. Christ always speaks truth. Never deceives. Never minimizes sin. Always exalts grace and does so in a fashion that is always compassionate to those who would have the ears to hear him. Those who are deaf to his words will be met with justice and judgment. But those who embrace his words will hear in his words, words that are music to their ears, 
They will take his words into their lips and they will be as sweet as honeycomb. So beautiful are the words of Christ. He continues to be our prophet. His work of prophet is not only a work that is restricted to this world. As he goes into glory, he sends forth his spirit, thereby anointing preachers of the gospel, that as they bring the word of God, Christ functions as prophet through them. Ephesians chapter 2, he preaches peace to those who are far off. Though Christ did not set foot in Ephesus, he was there through the apostolic ministry. And so Christ continues to be our glorious prophet. And as we hear the word of God week by week, and in our own homes, we read his words. We still rejoice in he who is so gracious in his words to our souls. We see him as prophet. We see him as priest. Verse 7 and 8, I believe, point forward to Christ's priestly reign and ministry. It says there, verse 7b, Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, all thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Remember that Christ is a priest, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110. That's Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek was both, what was he? He was both king and priest. Both together. And Christ, that is his role as our king. He's a priestly king. He's the perfect lamb king. Revelation chapter 5, the king on the throne is the lamb. The sacrificial lamb, priesthood and kingdom coming together in the person of the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's our saviour. We muse upon him, we think upon him and we rejoice in him. Well, these verses are pointing in that direction. Note two things, gladness and garments. He's anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. In virtue of loving righteousness and hating wickedness. That I believe is prophetically pointing forward to the language of Hebrews chapter 12. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In the cross we see our saviour hating wickedness and loving righteousness. So much so that he's willing to bear the wrath of God because he loves righteousness. Christ could not leave the cross without hating righteousness. He's being made sin. Therefore, he understands that as one who loves righteousness, the price of sin must be paid upon his precious head. And so he's there on the cross loving righteousness. All at the same time, considering the joy that was set before him. The gladness of redemption accomplished. The gladness of a people whose salvation he is securing. And so we see here, Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. The gladness, also the garments. (laughs) You know the language here. His garments carry the odor of the spices of death. We're seeing Christ as our priestly sacrifice here. The wise men, they, they come and they bring myrrh. Mary anoints the Lord. And then, of course, there's Nicodemus. He comes and brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, John 19, 39. 
Oh, the unity of the word of God. The glad Savior smelling with the aroma of the spices of death. So that as he comes, he carries these odors with him. And he comes with fragrances that are sweet. But they're sweet because he's been anointed as one who had died. And in his death, he carries these odors. And those odors are sweet to the people of God. Because our priest has accomplished redemption. So we see him as our prophet. We see him as our priest. And of course we see him thirdly and finally as our king. Verses 3 through 6 really are the centre of this section of the psalm. The psalm's in two sections. But this first section is centred upon these three words. Or these three verses. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty. All the way down through to verse number six, sorry, four verses. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. These are prayers. The psalmist is praying here. Prayers that are prayers of certain prophetic fulfillment. They will certainly come to pass. Christ's kingdom is now and not yet. He is now reigning. But he's reigning until all his enemies are put under his feet. There's still a fulfillment yet to come. And we see both of those things in these words. But in summary terms, we see a kingdom that is marked by might and marked by majesty. We have the might of Christ's kingdom, O most mighty. His mighty kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is not as the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom, to borrow from Daniel's language, is a kingdom made without man's hands. It is a stone that crushes all other kingdoms. Every single other earthly kingdom will come to naught. There is not one single eternal earthly kingdom. Not even this fair nation is eternal. Every kingdom of this world will come under the kingdom of God's Christ. And he will reign forever and ever in that eternal kingdom. That's what's in view here. His throne alone to the Son. Verse number 6, Hebrews chapter 1. To the Son, God says, thy throne, O God. The eternal Son of God is the one who sits upon the eternal throne. And he reigns forever and ever. The might of this kingdom is eternal. It is expanding also. You look at verse the verse number five, thine arrows are sharp in the hand, heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. This language sounds like death, destruction, and judgment. But we know that Christ's kingdom expands in smiting the hearts of his enemies, not unto destruction, but unto confession. Psalm 110, thy people are willing in the day of his power. The might of Christ's kingdom, yes, will eternally be seen in the destruction of all his enemies. But at the present time, the might of his kingdom is seen in that it expands. That those who, those who are rebellious are made submissive. Those who hate him come to love him. How do I know that? Because you're sitting here. The arrows of Christ pierced your heart. And so you're converted from being a rebel against God to being one who comes to want to sit at his table, to commune with the king. 
Oh, the might of his kingdom that is eternal and expanding. The majesty of his kingdom is also mentioned here. Look what it says in verse 3. O most mighty with thy glory and thy majesty. In thy majesty ride prosperously. What marks the majesty of Christ's kingdom? Truth, meekness and righteousness. The prophet that we saw is the king of truth in verse number 4. Meekness and righteousness. He is a just and a fair king. We want justice. We have an inbuilt desire for justice that is enhanced when we come to know the law of God by the grace of God. And so we desire a king who is just and fair, who shows mercy and compassion to the needy, who shows no partiality, no corruption and no injustice. There will be not a single miscarriage of justice in the last day. Christ is a perfectly just king. He always does righteously. This majestic kingdom, marked by advance, eternal, merciful, just, is also meek. Verse number four, because of truth and meekness. I quoted the words of Matthew 11, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Can you imagine if an earthly historic king walked into this building right now with a sword upon his thigh, got clothed perhaps in the garb of an ancient king, perhaps coming down on a horse conquering and to conquer? Do you think the children would run to embrace, to climb up on the horse, to draw close to the king? I don't think so. Terrifying picture. Fearful. We'd all scatter to the corners. But Christ's kingdom is marked by meekness. He is meek and lowly. He is the approachable king. It's incredible, really, to think that he who is expanding his eternal kingdom right now is the one who draws sinners, come unto me. Children, come, and I'll bless you. The compassionate, the gentle heart of our Christ is something that we should not lose sight of. He is a king that is marked by meekness. What joy there ought to be as we consider him afresh today. Whatever you need today, Christ is here for you. There is from Christ the grace that you need right now today at this very moment. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.